Symphonies to Stalin divine At home unless you write them You're sent off to a mine We'll hear you at the Ritz Bar Singing suede at the line Too bad, hey, too bad, hey Too good to be true, hey, hey, hey Too bad, we can't go back to Moscow No wonder they found Too bad, they have to remain So long in this land of great town Hey, 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 too bad Instead of counting chickens on each farm everywhere In case a party member has a chicken to spare You'll see us counting chickens at the Folie Bergère Hi, I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theatre. Opening at the Imperial Theatre February 24th, 1955, with music and lyrics by Cole Porter, and a book by George S. Kaufman, Louine McGrath, and Abe Burroughs, suggested by Ninotchka, by Melchior Lengel, Silk Stockings was the last Broadway musical that the great Cole Porter wrote for the stage. Best known from the 1939 MGM film Ninotchka with Melvin Douglas, Ina Clare, Sig Ruman, Felix Bressert, Bela Lugosi, and George Tobias, and starring Greta Garbo with an advertising campaign that touted, quote, Garbo laughs, unquote. Producer and director Ernst Lubisch once again brought his magic touch to the proceedings, resulting in a film classic. Ninotchka was one of the first American films which, under the cover of a satirical light romance, depicted the Soviet Union, under Joseph Stalin, as being rigid and gray, in this instance comparing it with the free and sunny Parisian society of pre-war years. The film, Greta Garbo's first full comedy, was a hit, and she received her third and final Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. The 1955 Broadway musical, now titled Silk Stockings, and starring Broadway neophytes Hildegard Neff and Donna Michi, had a challenging road to the stage. Cole Porter was delighted to be working with librettists George Kaufman and Louine McGrath, also known as Mrs. Kaufman, because he admired Mr. Kaufman as a wit and Miss McGrath as an actress. George, who had directed the hits The Front Page, June Moon, Once in a Lifetime, 
of the I Sing, Dinner at Eight, Merrily We Roll Along, Stage Door, You Can't Take It With You, I'd Rather Be Right, Of Mice and Men, The Man Who Came to Dinner, George Washington Slept Here, My Sister Eileen, Guys and Dolls, and the Solid Gold Cadillac, to name just a few, would also direct Silk Stockings. Co-producer Cy Fuhrer was taken by Cole Porter's great knowledge on a wide range of subjects, his exquisite taste, his enormous curiosity, and his creative genius. During conferences in which numbers were discussed, Fuhrer suggested a song for the three Soviet agents who were returning to Russia after having tasted the pleasures of Paris. Fuhrer thought there was a comedy number in their horror at being sent to, quote, dreary Siberia, unquote. Cole Porter objected, quote, Oh, Cy, you're quite wrong about Siberia. When I spent a week at the Grand Duke's castle in Siberia, it was truly beautiful, unquote. The production was fraught during its creation. There was grumbling over George Kaufman's directorial methods, the plan to have Miss Neff talk sing her songs in the Marlene Dietrich manner was not as effective as expected, Supporting actress Yvonne Adair was plagued by illness. Suffering from shingles, she was hospitalized during rehearsals, and there was concern that she would not be on hand for the Philadelphia opening. She wasn't. Her understudy, Sherry O'Neill, went on in her place. There were rumors that Yvonne would never return. To play safe, Co-producer Ernie Martin wired Gretchen Weiler, a chorus dancer who was trying to establish herself in films, offering her the chance to understudy the understudy. She took it. In Philadelphia, the show opened to tumultuous praise. The critics agreed that it was a, quote, sure hit, unquote. Fuhrer and Martin, who had four Broadway smashes and were determined to achieve another, were not all that sanguine. Audience response varied, they felt, and since the show was doing sellout business, they extended the engagement for a week. Understudy Sherry O'Neill went on again, and then Yvonne Adair recovered sufficiently to return. Meanwhile, relations between the Kaufmans and the producers were deteriorating. Legendary author and director A. Burroughs was brought in to make a few suggestions and, eventually, to rewrite the libretto. Kaufman relinquished his directorial reins to co-producer Cy Fuhrer and stopped speaking to the producers and to Cole Porter, but not to A. Burroughs. Instead of coming to New York, the production moved to Boston for four weeks. There, it drew mixed notices and underwent further doctoring. The emphasis was changed from comedy romance to laughs at any cost. For reasons best known to themselves, Cole Porter said the producers decided to throw out every set, gown, and prop that possessed any beauty. Still dissatisfied with the show, Fuhrer and Martin booked it into Detroit for three weeks. Cole Porter's response was that if they kept it out of town much longer, everyone would have forgotten what Silk was, and the title would have to be changed to Nylon Stockings. On February 3rd, throat trouble forced Miss Adair out of the show for the second time. This time, Gretchen Weiler stepped into the role, 
Then and there, the cliché that has served as the plot for thousands of grade B films and slick fiction stories was enacted. The unprepossessing chorus girl stepped into a featured role and stopped the show cold. Lines that had never evoked a snicker brought roars. Miss Wyler not only made a name for herself, but literally saved the show. On February 24, 1955, Silk Stockings opened at the Imperial Theater in New York, where it became Cole Porter's 20th Broadway hit. The Dean of Broadway critics Brooks Atkinson in the New York Times proclaimed, quote, We can all afford to relax now. Everything about Silk Stockings, which opened at the Imperial last evening, represents the best goods in the American musical comedy emporium. This is one of Gotham's most memorable shows on level with Guys and Dolls, unquote. Ninochka made its way to radio on April 21st, 1940, in one of those wonderful occasions where top stars, in this case Rosalind Russell and Spencer Tracy, played the roles created by other actors on screen. This being a non-musical version of the story, as with our opening, we'll be peppering in music from Broadway's Silk Stockings throughout our program. Now, on the Screen Guild Theatre... Ninochka. Russell, Spencer Tracy. The Gulf Screen Guild Theater. Your neighborhood good golf dealer and the Gulf Oil Companies welcome you to the Gulf Theater, the one place where you meet all your favorite stars. Tonight, the Gulf Theater presents Rosalind Russell and Spencer Tracy with Oscar Bradley and his Gulf Orchestra. And now your host, the director of the Gulf Theater, Roger Pryor. Good evening, everyone. Tonight's the last show of the season from the Gulf Theater, and we've decided to let Rosalind Russell and Spencer Tracy choose their own play. What was the decision, Roz? Ennis Lubitsch's production of Ninochka. We both think it's one of the most beautiful pictures ever to come out of Hollywood. What part are you playing, Spence? Well, I just wanted to show Melvin Douglas, who played this part so beautifully, how really badly it could have been done. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Roz? Well, I can't tell exactly, Roger. But any similarity between the character I play tonight and Greta Garbo is purely coincidental. <laughs> yes, yes. And ladies and gentlemen, if you hear a vast silence coming out of your radio, stick around. It's just Russell and Tracy trying to underplay each other. <laughs> By the way, Ernest Lubitsch is sick in bed with a cold. When he hears this, it'll get him out of bed. But quick, come on, <laughs> curtain line. The scene is Paris in the spring of several years ago, when a siren was a woman and not an air raid alarm. Comrades Bulyanov and Kapolsky, members of the Russian Board of Trade, just arrived from Moscow to sell the confiscated jewels of the former Duchess Swana, are meeting with an obstacle in the person of Count Leon Dalgu. I'm sorry to interfere with your plans, comrades, but these jewels are the property of the Duchess Swana. They were stolen legally, monsieur. I am acting for the Duchess. Here is an injunction that says you cannot sell them. What will you settle for? Russia is invincible. But make us a proposition. 
I'll settle for half of what you get for the jewel. Impossible. Not a chance. Talk to a lawyer. All right, you talk to a lawyer, and the Duchess and I will talk to the judge. He's cutting our throats. Capitalistic sabotage. <laughs> Let me remind you, gentlemen, that the Duchess Swana is a beautiful woman. And on the witness stand... You can't scare us. Boys, boys. Have you ever seen a French court when a beautiful woman lifts her skirt a little? You sit down and pull up your pants and where will it get you? I suppose you expect us to give you the jewels. So that Rajin, our commissar at the Board of Trade, can send us to Siberia, eh? Oh, now don't worry, boys. I'll send him a telegram explaining everything. Why Rajin can't send you to Siberia? That's what they keep telling us down at Moscow. Yes, but people keep right on going to Siberia. <laughs> Cheer up, comrades. I'll wire Razine in. And while we wait for an answer, I'll show you how to really enjoy Paris. Comrade Yakoshova. Yes, Commissar Razine. I have here a report on Bulyanov and Kopalski from secret agent G2W4. There has been a boring from within by a Count Leon Dalgu. You, as envoy extraordinary and unbanding pillar of the Soviet state, will take the train to Paris at once. Very well, Commissar. Not so loud. This is strictly confidential. <laughs> Excuse me. I am looking for two comrades. Bulyanov and Kapalski. I am Bulyanov. I am Kapalski. And I am Nina Ivanova Yokoshova, envoy extraordinary from Moscow. Comrade Ninochka. Oh, we did not expect the lady envoy. Kapalski, get flowers. Please do not make an issue of my womanhood. We are here for work. Have engaged a bed for me? Why, yes, comrade Ninochka. At the Hotel Claret. Uh, carry your bags, madame. Why? He is a porter. He wants to carry them. Why? Why should you carry all the people's bags? Well, that's my business, madame. That's no business. That's a social injustice. <laughs> <laughs> that depends on the tip. Lead the way, please. Yes, <laughs> How are things in Moscow? Excellent. That's nice. The last mock trials were a great success. There are going to be fewer, but better Russians. <laughs> apartment, comrade Ninochka. Which part of the room is mine? Oh, in Paris. They don't rent rooms in pieces. You have the whole suite. How much does it cost? Two thousand francs a day. Two thousand francs to buy a cow. In one week, I will cost the Russian people seven cows. Who am I to cost the Russian people seven cows? <laughs> but we had to take this suite, comrade Ninochka. It has a safe for the jewels. And what has our lawyer done about the jewels? We have no lawyer. We have dealt directly with Count Leon Dalgu, representative of the Duchess Swan. Lawyers here are very expensive. We just say hello to a Paris lawyer and, well, there goes another cow. Send for this Count Leon Dalgu. I will talk with him. Yes, comrade. In the meantime, I wish to inspect the public utilities of the city. Oh, we'll be glad to show you Paris, comrade. Yes. Count Dalgu has taken us everywhere. So we have heard in Russia... It will be a pleasant memory during your long night in Siberia. Goodbye now. I go for a walk.
police. Huh? Speaking to me? How long does one have to wait on this traffic island to cross the street? Till the policeman whistles again? How many minutes between whistles? I never gave that a thought. You never took the trouble to find out? No. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> May I help you hold that map? Please. I am looking for the Eiffel Tower. Is that thing lost again? <laughs> Listen, if you're interested in a view... Only from a technical standpoint. Oh. Oh, well, then I'm afraid I can't help you. Parisians only go to the top of the tower in moments of despair to jump off. How long does it take a man to land? Well, the last time I jumped, I forgot to time it. <laughs> Let me see now, the Eiffel Tower. Here, here it is, right here on the map. And where are we? Right here, together. Isn't that nice? Must you flirt? <laughs> no, no, I don't have to, but I find it natural. <laughs> I'll try. As a matter of information, is your approach typical of the local morale? Mademoiselle, it is the kind of approach which has made Paris what it is. I have always heard of the arrogant male in capitalistic society. In Russia, it is different. Oh, oh, you're a Russian. Yes, of course. Oh, I love Russians, comrade. I've been fascinated by your five-year plan for the past 15 years. <laughs> your type will soon be extinct, fortunately. Goodbye, I'm going to study the towel. Oh, fine, fine. Wait a minute, I'll come along with you. The, uh, the staircase has 829 steps, plus 254 steps to the very top. And that's where we are now, just in case you didn't count. Yes. Yes, I'm glad to see it once more before becoming extinct. Look at all those lights down there. Pretty, yes. What a waste of electricity. <laughs> all Paris at your feet. The boulevards, the river Seine. Here, here, uh, step over to the telescope. You see, I put a franc in the slot, then turn the lens until... There, there, take a look. I see nothing but a house. But it's my house. Three rooms in the kitchenette. You'd like it. Do you mean you want me to go there? Please don't misunderstand me. Then you don't want me to go there. I didn't say that. Then why don't we go? Huh? <laughs> you might be an interesting subject of study. Well, I'll do my best, comrade. This is my castle, Dinochka. Can I, can I get you something to eat or a drink? No, thank you. I've had all the calories necessary for today. <laughs> what do we do now, comrade? Well, we sit down. We look at each other. We smile. Why? We don't smile. <laughs> Tell me, what do you do for mankind? For mankind, not a thing. For womankind, the record is not so bleak. <laughs> General appearance is not distasteful. Thank you. Whites of your eyes are clear. Your cornea is excellent. Your cornea is terrific. <laughs> Can it be I'm falling in love with you? Love, a romantic designation for the most ordinary chemical process. Ninochka. But uh, chemically, we are quite 
sympathetic. Ninachka, Ninachka. You repeat yourself. <laughs> I'd like to say it a thousand times, but you confuse me, Ninachka. After all, I'm only a poor bourgeois. I once belonged to the petty bourgeoisie myself. My parents wanted me to work on their farm, but I preferred the bayonet. You don't say. I was a sergeant in the 3rd Cavalry Brigade. Would you like to see where I was wounded? If it's not too much trouble. Here on my shoulder. Oh. <laughs> a Cossack Lancer when I was 16. Poor Ninach. What don't pity me, pity the Lancer. After all, I'm alive. Just what kind of a girl are you anyway? Just a tiny cog in the great wheel of evolution. You're the most adorable cog I've ever seen. Ninochka, never did I dream I could feel like this toward a sergeant. You feel... You feel like home. Ninochka, why do doves bill and coo? Why do snails circle interminably around each other? Why do flowers open their petals? Oh, Ninochka, surely you feel some slight symptom of the divine passion. A warmth, the burning of the lips that is a thousand times more tantalizing, more exalting than thirst. You are very talkative. <laughs> I'm going to kiss you. There. Is that talkative? No. That was restful. <laughs> Again, please. Oh, darling. My barbaric Ninochka. My impossible, unromantic, statistical, glorious, analytical. Your telephone is ringing. Oh, all right. Hello? Yes? Yes, Pugliano? Pugliano? Yes? No, I, I can't come right now. I'm entertaining a friend. Yes, from the army. <laughs> yeah, wh wh what's the name of the envoy extraordinary? Oh, it's a girl. Well, what's her name? Jack, what was that? Spell it. Y-A-K-U-S-H-O-V-A. Thank you. Oh. Never mind, Bugliano. Goodbye. Ninochka. Envoy extraordinary, Yokoshova. You represent the Dorches, then? Yes, but... I must go now. You, well, why not just forget the telephone ever rang? I was sent here by the commissar to fight you. So from now on, if you wish to approach me... I do. Then do it through my lawyer. Ninochka, you can't walk out like this. Remember, you, you like the white of my eyes. I must go, I tell but you. Ninochka, I held you in my arms. You kissed me. Ah, uh, yes. But I kissed the Cossack Lancer, too, before he died. Now, ladies and gentlemen, while we're waiting for Act Two of Ninochka, we'd like to extend an invitation to all of you. All right, Johnny? Well, folks, it's an invitation from your neighborhood good golf dealer. Your good golf dealer wants to help you with your spring cleaning. Now, naturally, he can't come around to your home and get busy with a broom or a vacuum cleaner, but he can give your car just about the grandest going over that it's ever had. So drive in tomorrow where you see the Gulf Orange Disc. Get a crankcase full of summer-grade Gulf Pride motor oil, have your transmission and differential lubricant changed, and get rid of winter squeaks by having your car completely Gulf flexed with summer lubricants, too. This month and every month, it pays to make the good golf dealer your dealer. Hi, this is Porchlight Education Director Rebecca Singer. 
Thank you for listening to WPMT. If you value programming like this, consider making a donation today at porchlightmusictheater.org. We appreciate your consideration and hope you enjoy the show. When the electromagnetic of the he-male meets the electromagnetic of the female, if right away she should say this is email, it's a chemical reaction, that's all. And though you fascists may answer with hisses, the same applies when you're misters and missus. Hey, diddle diddle with middle class kisses. It's a chemical reaction, that's all. Say in love with you I fall, and in love with me you also fall. Though the uninstructed faction calls it Mutual attraction, it's a chemical reaction, that's all. As in the case of invertebrates Cambrian, as in the case of fishes Devonian, as in the case of amphibians Permian, as in the case of reptiles Triassic or Jurassic, merely read in the book by Kamichev, which has now become a classic. When the electromagnetic of the he-male meets the electromagnetic of the female if right away she should say come and be male it's a chemical reaction that's all <laughs> you do not believe Kamichev? no ma'am then what is your theory my theory is that there is no theory you are attracted to me that's right there obviously must be scientific reasons. There are reasons, but they have nothing to do with Consolidated Edison. I love the looks of you, the lure of you. I'd love to make a tour of you. The eyes, the arms, the mouth of you. East, West, North, and the South of you. I'd love to gain complete control of you and handle even the heart and soul of you. So love at least a small percent of me do. For I love all of you. Kamichev once observed the behavior of 40 turtles over a period of three months. And Kamichev has proven his theory... After watching your appeal from every angle, there's a big romantic deal I've got to angle. For I've fallen for a certain luscious lass. And it's not a passing fancy or a fancy pass. I love the looks of you. Of you, I'd love to make quite sure of you. The eyes, the arms, the mouth of you. The east, west, north, and the south of you. I'd love to gain complete control of you and handle even the heart and soul of you. So love at least 
a small percent of me do. Starring Spencer Tracy and Rosalind Russell. A week has passed since Leon discovered that Nanotchka is the envoy extraordinary, and Nanotchka learned that Leon is representing the Beswana. In desperation, he's followed her to a small restaurant. You mind if I join you, Sergeant Yakushova? You have no right to follow me. How, how about this little table here by the window? I have nothing to say to you. Oh, but I've got a lot to say to you. Please, you wish to order now? A plate of raw carrots and beets. Sergeant, this is a restaurant, not a meadow. <laughs> Waiter, bring us some uh, crayfish soup, omelet with mushrooms, dessert and coffee. We oui, must. Your tactics are very bad, Count Delgu. Oh, Ninochka. Now, look, look. Can't, can't, can't you just pretend that there are no jewels, no Duchess Swana, no lawsuit? You, you take things too seriously. Come on, please relax. I beg. Sergeant, smile. At what? At me, at yourself, at, 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 at that funny little bird sitting on the windowsill begging for crumbs. Mm -hmm. He is strong, isn't he? <laughs> he pops out his chest exactly like Kwame saw last in him. <laughs> That's better. You like Paris, Nenachka? It is nice. Back home there is still snow and ice, and here, flowers and birds. I have always felt a little hurt that our swallows deserted us in the winter for capitalistic countries. <laughs> now I know why. You have the high ideal, but uh, then you have the climb. <laughs> Would you like to see more of Paris, the real Paris? Yes, I believe I should. All right, we'll do the town. All the gay, romantic, beautiful places you've read about. Where would you like to go first? The waterworks. What? <laughs> and the power and light plant. But Ninochka. And the power sewers. All right, all right, all right. Now, if I take you to the waterworks, the light plant, and the Paris sewers, will you let me pick out the other points of interest? Why not? Good, good. Come on, comrade Ninochka. You're going to learn a lot about Paris and about life. And four, these pumps deliver 10,000 gallons of water one minute. Oh, it's marvelous. Therefore, these electric generators deliver 5,000 volts. Oh, wonderful. Boat is now drifting down the romantic main. Oh, Solomio! <laughs> what time is it, Leon? Why, it's only midnight. But what do you think of my part of Paris? I like it. But I should not have let you talk me into buying this place. <laughs> I don't look foolish. Foolish? Why, if I met that dress walking down the boulevard all by itself, I'd say, just a moment, you charming little dress, I want you to meet Ninochka. You two were meant for each other. And the hat. <laughs> Is it not silly? Oh, it's a beautiful hat. Everybody in the restaurant is looking at you. There is one woman, a very beautiful one, coming toward our table and looking very angry. Leo. Oh, uh, oh, oh, hello, Swana. Oh, well. Leon, darling, this is a surprise. And, uh, who's your little friend? Oh, pardon me. Uh, your Highness Comrade Yakushova, the Duchess Swana. Oh, really? The envoy from Russia who's here to sell the jewels they stole from me. And what a lovely gown. Is that what they're wearing in Moscow this year? No, madame. 
lost you. <laughs> really? Well, uh, do see that Mademoiselle Yakushov enjoys Paris, Leon, so she can return to Moscow empty-handed, but with pleasant memories. Good night, darling. Good night, Swallow. Now I think I need a champagne. Yes, so do I. Well, here's to us. Oh, this is good. Let's have more champagne. Let's have lots of champagne. In other words, let's have champagne. <laughs> Comrades, good people of France. <laughs> take it easy, take it easy. Wake up the whole hotel. I want to make a speech. I want to overthrow the Duchess Swan. <laughs> <laughs> overthrow her tomorrow. Here's the door of your suite now. Lean on me till I get it open. I love you, my little Leonichka. And I adore you, my little Leonichka. <laughs> steady now. In we go. Leon. Yes, darling. I want to confess. I know, the Russian soul. Go ahead. Well, when I kissed you, I betrayed Russia and the party. Well, how about forming a party of our own? Oh, that's a wonderful idea, Leon. Right. Lovers of the world unite. Our salute will be a kiss. Comrade, I salute you. Oh, we ought to have music for that. All right, where's the radio? Oh, the radio, right over there in the wall. Where? Open that little door. Oh, yes, yes. Turn the knob twice to the right and stop at seven. Seven. Then twice to the left and stop at seventeen. Seventeen. There we are, there we are. There we are. There's no music in this thing, only some jewels. Oh, those awful jewels again. The tears of Russia. Who cried this big one? Peter the Great? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, here's a crown. I'll put it on you. No, no, please. Don't, no. See, I make you Ninotchka the Great, the Grand Duchess of the Masses. Uh, thank you, Masses. Love the world. The revolution is on the march. Wars will wash over us. Bombs will fall. All civilization will crumble. But not yet, please. Wait. There's no hurry. Let us be happy. Give us our moment. We are happy. Aren't we, Leo? Yes, sweetheart. We always will be. So happy. I'm going home now. Good night, Nanachka. Dream of me, of us, and I'll wake you in the morning. Just a moment. Good morning, Leona. Good morning. Oh, sorry to disappoint you, Mademoiselle Yakusova. We met last evening. Remember? Oh, yes, the Duchess Swana. Come in. I suppose you've discovered your jewels disappeared sometime during the night? Yes. Did you come to tell me that you had stolen? <laughs> Stole is such an ugly word. Let us say, uh, I recovered them. I shall notify the police. Do. 
But won't it be rather embarrassing to explain to Moscow how you lost perhaps? But won't it be embarrassing to you to have to explain to a judge just how you stole? I'll fight you through every court in France. That will take at least two years. You haven't enough money to fight two years in court. I may run out of money, but your people have already run out of bread. You wanted to sell these jewels to feed them. Two years is a long time for your comrades to go hungry. Yes. Many will starve. Not if you accept my proposition. What is it? I'll give you the jewels if you take the 540 plane this afternoon to Moscow and promise not to see or talk to Leon. You'll never win him that way. Not Leon. Well, what do you say? I have no choice when my people are hungry, Dorchiswana. I will take the jewels and the 540 plane for Moscow. <laughs> Count Dalgu, I've told you it is impossible. But you've got to give me a visa. I've got to get to Moscow. No. But I'm sympathetic to your cause. I, I like the Soviet ideal. Everybody the same. Uh, you just like me. Me just like you. I use your comb. You use my toothbrush. Give me a visa. <laughs> For the last time, no visa. What's the matter with me? You are a friend of the Duchess Swanda. No, no. I haven't seen her in over a month. Now, look. No. All right, all right. I'll boycott your whole country. No more caviar. No more birch. No more vodka. No more Tchaikovsky. Wait a minute, I know something even better than that. Oh, you do? What? This. Yes, and you can tell the Kremlin that's just the beginning. Comrade Ninochka Yakashova. Yes, Commissar. You have done such good work in Moscow the last three months. I am sending you on an important mission. To Paris? No, to Constantinople. Oh, that Paris trip changed you, comrade. I noticed you did not even seem to enjoy my May Day speech to the workers. What is my mission in Constantinople? Listen to this anonymous message. How can the Bolshevik cause gain the respect of the Turks when your two representatives, Bulyanov and Kotalski, get so drunk that they throw a carpet out of their hotel window and complain to the management that he did not fly? <laughs> you will take the first plane to Constantinople and investigate. Very well, Commissar. Not allowed. This is a secret mission. Welcome to Constantinople, Ninochka. See? We engaged the royal suite for you. Bulyanov, Kapowski. Please, please, comrade. Don't start figuring out the cost in cow. Commissar Razinin is very angry with you. Good old Razzy-Dazzy. Comrades, please. I must see your extensive account at once. Don't ask for it. There is an old Turkish proverb. If something smells bad, why put your nose in it? <laughs> Someone has been boring from within. You went to Paris and were led astray. Now you come to Constantinople and the same thing happens. Who is back of this? Somebody looking for me? Leon. I might have known... Oh, I've never seen you looking so happy, Ninochka. I know, Leon, and I shouldn't. It's all wrong. Something terrible's happened to me since I met you. Look, I'm even wearing lipstick. What a gesture for a sergeant. Kulyanov, <laughs> Kapolsky. Yes, little father. <laughs> Go search the city for me. 
And if you find me, which you won't, come back here and report. We catch on, little father. Come, Buliano. Come in, Kofalski. Leon. Leon, darling. I'm never going to let you go again. But I have to return to Moscow. If you do, I'll continue boring from within. I'll make every Russian envoy into a Bulyanov and Kopolsky. <laughs> that is a terrible threat. I'll destroy the whole country, man by man. Once you saved Russia by going back, this time you can save Russia by staying here. Darling, it shall never be said that Ninochka was a bad Russian. I will stay here with you. Thank you, Rosalind Russell and Spencer Tracy. Thanks to you, too, Melchior Lengo, for permission to use your story. And to you, Oscar Bradley, for the swell music. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's broadcast here from the stage of the Gulf Theater is the last one of our present Hollywood series. And as a representative of the Motion Picture Relief Fund, I'd like to thank all the stars and authors who have contributed their talents during the past season. Beginning next week at the same time, Gulf brings you The Adventures of Ellery Queen. Right now, John Carty's trying to get Ellery Queen on the phone from New York so that Ellery himself can tell you about his adventures for next week. I'm sure you'll... Oh, that must be the call now. I'll take it, Johnny. Hello? Mr. Pryor, I have New York for you. Fine. Put Ellery Queen on. Go ahead, Mr. Queen. Roger Pryor? Hello, Roger. Oh, Thanks. Well, we're all very happy about it here. Our first case for the Gulf audience next week? Just a moment, Roger. Nikki, what's our first case for next week? The Adventure of the Double Triangle. Adventure of the Double Triangle, Roger. Well, it's the kind of murder case that might have happened to your next-door neighbor. You see, Roger... Wait, Henry, get your hat and coat. Inspector Queen, Ellery's talking to Roger Pryor in Hollywood. One moment, Dad. Sorry, Roger, my dad just barged in with Sergeant Dealey. Come on, Mr. Queen, we got a stiff white. A murder, Ellery, looks like a puzzle. Murder case? Sorry, Roger, I'll have to cut this short. I'll call you back as soon as I can. Goodbye. Step into it, son. All right, Dad, coming. Well, son... This body you see lying on this dining room floor is what was left of a shystolai they call the fox. Yeah, he hung the double cross on every crook he ever defended. Took their dough and sold them out. Hmm. Only this one clue, huh? But what does it mean, Ellery? Why should we find a fistful of granulated sugar in one of the murdered man's hands? Well, let's see now. This dead man, target of underworld hate, is dining here alone when his murderer knocked on the door. The fox answered the door and was instantly shot. The murderer fleeing. Didn't die right away, though. That's what Doc Browdy said. And the blood trail shows the fox crawled back to the dining room, reached up to the table where he'd been eating. And deliberately grabbed a handful of sugar from the open sugar bowl. I say he was mad. And then kicked off, leaving us a headache. Curious clue. Suspect's dead? The facts show only three men could have committed this crime, son. One's a smuggler, bad actor. Sing Sing, three times for dope smuggling. Second one's an educated palooka who's kind of cute at imitating handwriting. Two convictions for forgery. And the third possibility? A blackmailer, another bad egg. I've got all three of them in the next room, but I'll be drawn and quartered if I know which one of them shot the fox tonight. Oh, but you should, Dad. Oh, there he goes. You know already? Who did it, Ellery? Well, Nikki, if you'll get Roger Pryor back on the phone, I'll tell all of you who killed the fox. Right away, Ellery. Long distance, please. Yes, Roger. Those were the facts. Puzzled? Oh, you're not puzzled. You think it was... No, Roger. (laughs) 
As a one-man jury, you're a good program director. The only reason the fox could have had for crawling back to his table after he was shot and grabbing a handful of granulated sugar with his dying strength was obviously to leave a clue to his murderer's identity. How could granulated sugar identify one of the three suspects, Roger? Well, the fox couldn't have meant sugar literally because there's no possible tie-up between sugar and forgery, smuggling or blackmailing, is there? So the fox meant something that looked like sugar. What does granulated sugar look like? Well, it's a white, crisp, powdery substance. Does that suggest anything connected with a forger? No. Blackmailer? No. Smuggler? Oh, yes. <laughs> you don't see the connection? Well, what was our smuggler convicted for? Smuggling dope. A white, crystalline, powdery substance. Conclusion? By leaving the sugar as a clue, the fox was accusing the dope smuggler of having shot him. Oh, but it was really very simple, Roger. <laughs> well, thanks. And now, speaking for the Gulf Oil Companies and for the good Gulf dealers, I'd like to ask you to congratulate the members of the motion picture industry. And take a few bows for yourself, Roger. Thanks a lot. Goodbye, and good luck to all of you in Hollywood. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned to this station, because immediately following... MGM produced a 1957 film version of the musical Silk Stockings, directed by Ruben Malmoulian, and starring Fred Astaire and Sid Charisse. Actor George Tobias, who appeared uncredited in the film Ninotchka, is featured with credit in the film Silk Stockings as Commissar Markovich. Actor Rolf Sedan, who portrayed the hotel manager in the film Ninotchka, also appears uncredited in Silk Stockings as a stage manager. The MGM films Comrade X in 1940, starring Clark Gable and Hedy Lamarr, and the 1956 film The Iron Petticoat, starring Bob Hope and Katharine Hepburn, both borrow heavily from Ninotchka. One last word on the 1939 film version, MGM had scheduled Madame Curie as Garbo's next film, but pleased with the success of Ninotchka, the studio quickly decided to team Garbo and Melvin Douglas in another romantic comedy. Two-Faced Woman in 1941 was the result, and Garbo received the worst reviews of her entire career. It turned out to be her final film, and Greer Garson eventually starred in Madame Curie. Before we go, here's one more song hit from Silk Stockings. Today, to get the public to attend the picture show, it's not enough to advertise a famous star they know. If you want to get the crowds to come around, you gotta have glorious technicolor, breathtaking cinemascope, and stereophonic sound. If Xanax's latest picture were the good old-fashioned kind, there'd be no one in front to look at Marilyn's behind. If you want to hear applauding hands resound, you gotta have glorious technicolor, breathtaking cinemascope, and stereophonic sound. The customers don't like to see the groom embrace the bride, unless her lips are scarlet and her bosom's five feet wide in glorious technicolor, breathtaking cinemascope, or Cinerama, VistaVision, Superscope, or Tadeo, and Stereophonic Sound, and Stereophonic Sound. You all remember Lassie, that beloved cat. 
her But at present she'd be just another hound Unless she had glorious technicolor Breathtaking cinemascope and stereophonic sound I lately did a picture at the bottom of the sea I wrestled with an octopus and licked an anchovy But the people wouldn't care if I had drowned Unless I had glorious technicolor Breathtaking cinemascope and stereophonic sound If Ava Gardner played Godiva riding on a mare The people wouldn't pay a cent See her in the bear unless she had Glorious Technicolor or Cinecolor or Warnicolor or Pathecolor or Eastman Color or Coda Color or any color in Stereophonic Sound and Stereophonic adds an extra tonic Stereophonic Sound Theaters across the country need your support now more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Weber. (laughs) ¶¶